as they are heading out, if you'll take your Bible and go ahead and go to the book of Hebrews, uh, we'll find ourselves back in our book study in the book of Hebrews, and today we will pick up in chapter 6. Actually, uh, I, I am going to do a little back reading in 5, but our, our text focus today is going to be Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, uh, but we will be reading uh, from the previous chapter just to give us some context. Uh, some things I know has been mentioned. Some of you uh, prayed already in uh, Sunday school, and, and uh, we encourage you to continue to keep on your prayer list. Uh, spoke with Holton Harrison this morning, and uh, he is headed to Chapel Hill uh, today. He, in fact, he's probably on his way now or already there. And uh, he is, uh, at this point, their intention is to try and do surgery tomorrow. Uh, that's not concrete, but as of now, that was the goal. They're going to be putting in another stent. Uh, it was believed he might have suffered a heart attack uh, this past weekend. Uh, he has been at Lenore uh, for a couple of days, visited with him yesterday, and uh, seems to be doing good. Uh, in fact, I, I got there just in time. It was supper time. But man, he would not share that food, I'm telling you. But he finished all of it. He did. And so I told him, might as well, he's paying for it, right? <laughs> Uh, but anyways, it, uh, uh, please keep Mr. Holton in prayer. Uh, I know he, um, he definitely covets, covets your prayers. And as a pastor, I find myself in the most difficult situation. Um, as you know, our, our, our family has planned to head to Florida at 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, uh, I know I won't rest on vacation until I hear Mr. Holton is out of surgery. I'm thankful. It's times like this, I am grateful our church has a number of pastors represented in our congregation, but Brother Nate's going to step in and, and be there for Mr. Holton uh, and pray with him uh, before surgery. And, and I said, if we have to Skype me in, Skype me in, whatever we need to do. But uh, our hearts are with him, and let's continue to hold him up in prayer and uh, pray that everything will, will go well in his surgery. In fact, let's, uh, if, if it's all right with you guys, and even if it's not, <laughs> let's go ahead and stop right now and let's, let's lift Mr. Holton in prayer. Father, you've told us uh, in your word that we are to pray for one another. And Lord, we think of Mr. Holton and we think of uh, just the, the impact that uh, he has had in his life, uh, in the life of Community Baptist Church. And, and uh, Lord, we pray for our brother right now as he is no doubt a little nervous about facing a, another surgery. And um, I just pray that you will uh, comfort him, Lord. Give him the peace that passes all understanding. Help him to know that you, uh, as the ultimate physician, uh, will guide and guard and protect him and that your will be done. Lord, we would ask that uh, the doctors would have steady hands and that it would be uh, just a precision surgery, that everything would go smooth, that he would find some relief in being able to have this uh, blockage uh, opened and that, uh, Lord, his body would be strong in enduring surgery and also in the post-follow-up, in the healing aspect. And so, Lord, we ask this morning collectively, all of our hearts, into the throne room of grace and ask on behalf of our friend and our brother, who we love dearly, that you would go before us, go before him and prepare the way that it would go well. And we trust this to you, Lord thanking you for the opportunity to be able to gather corporately to pray for one another and uh, to worship you today in this setting. Lord, I pray that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me words to speak, and I pray that your word would go out unhindered and that it would find fertile soil for your namesake. And we ask it in the precious name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you'll notice, bless you, my brother. Thank you, sir. He didn't want a dry sermon today. I know. Thank you. I'll try to come up with a new one. If you've got any new one, email me. Pastor at cbclagrange.org. Anyway. Uh, man, you guys really thought it was going to be dry. This cup is full. Might be an illustration in that a little while later. All right. Back into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. And... Um, we uh, got a lot of, lot of ground we've covered, but a lot of ground still yet to, to cover. 
And uh, by the way, let me pause just say, if you're visiting today, thank you for being with us. And it is awesome to see Miss Brittany O'Hara here. Woohoo! Here for the summer! All right, Brittany, you're going to be put to work. Uh, we know this already. Glad to have you back with us, young lady. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we left off last time. We were a couple of weeks out, and um, we moved into chapter 6. And as you know, this is no doubt one of the most difficult passages of Scripture that you will wrestle with. It is no doubt one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. And uh, all you got to do is pick up about three commentaries, and you'll probably get three differing opinions. This is why it's so important that as Bible students, we study context, context, context. Sometimes it's great if we just start with the big picture. What is the big picture? What is the purpose of this letter? Who is the audience? Who is he writing to? These things will help us narrow it down into understanding, to good understanding. So with that said, you recall what we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. The name gives it away who the predominant audience is. All right, It's written to a bunch of Hebrew people. But in this specific gathering, there are three types. There are those believers who've come to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. They have placed their faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. But also in their midst, that's also being written to, are those who, they're sort of one foot in, one foot out. They kind of sit on the fence. And uh, you know what they say about those who sit on the fence. It hurts. Anyway, don't sit on the fence. Guaranteed to hurt you. All right? Make up your mind. Right? Choose this day whom you will serve. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in this audience are those who, they've been in the midst of all this going on. They've, some have probably even seen some of the apostles and what they have done in the way of miracles. They have heard the testimony. They have tasted, we'll see in the scripture here, they've been a part of what God is doing in the midst of that congregation. But they have yet to come to saving faith. And then you've got this other group of Judaizers who are non-believers who are also there in their midst who are convinced that they must continue in the traditional things. They must continue doing the sacrifices. They must continue doing the temple worship stuff. They must continue those things that they learned in the Old Testament as we know it today. And so they're pulling on those people who are on the fence to come back into the traditions of things that they know and understand. Now, that is not a stretch for us today. Because no doubt in this audience, those watching, those listening via the radio, there is the same type of audience. There are those who fit those three categories. Maybe not in the sense of Jewish customs and Jewish traditions, but you have your own pagan traditions, your own practices of religion or religiosity that maybe you were raised up in. And so you're holding to tradition instead of truth. There are those who are here who are on the fence. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you even said a prayer. Maybe you've been baptized. But if the truth be told and your heart will reveal, there is not saving faith at place in your life. You've never truly, as the Bible says, been born again. And then there are those who are the beloved, the believers that are here in our midst. So we can understand as we read through this in application to our own lives. And we've gone through a series of warnings thus far. And if you want to understand the book of Hebrews, let me encourage you, go through and highlight the warnings. That'll help you in understanding the message of the book of Hebrews. And we've just finished up one of the most harsh warnings the writer gives in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to reread it today. Uh, so that we can, again, get back into the context of where we left off. But in a, in a nutshell, here, here are the, the warning passages. Chapter 2, we learned about the danger of drifting. You recall that, remember? 
And he talks about not neglecting so great a salvation. Chapters 3 and 4, we talked about how the Israelites got to the promised land and many of them shrunk back. Remember, the spies went in and they were fearful and, and 10 of the 12 gave an evil report. And because of disbelief, they did not enter into the rest of the promised land. And so chapters 3 and 4, we see the danger of not entering into rest. Again, a warning to those in the congregation there at, uh, uh, that this is written to. Chapters 5 and 6, the danger of not going on to maturity. And that's where we were last week and where we will conclude this week, Lord willing. Chapters 10, the danger of willful sin. And chapter 12, the danger of indifference to the point of denial. These are some of the warnings that we will see, Lord willing, as we move through the book of Hebrews. So, with that background laid, let's begin in chapter 5. And let's go back to, to get some context. Verse 11. He's just told them about the order of Melchizedek. He said the line of Christ is like that of Melchizedek. And again, throughout the book, Christ is better than the prophets. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the, the priesthood. And he gives this, he says that he is likened to the Melchizedek order. He wants to tell them about this, but they can't receive it. Here's why. Verse 11. Of whom we have much to say, speaking of Melchizedek, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You remember we, we talked about, he said, you want to put it in vernacular of today? You're, you're slow. You're dumb. You're, you're, just, you're just dumb. You can't, you're, not, you're not getting this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And again, this is where a lot of people miss it. And you recall, if you, if you get a chance and you, didn't, if you weren't here for the last message, go back online and listen to it because I'm telling you, it will help you so much in understanding this passage today. But he was saying this to those people. He says, look, you ought to be teachers. You grew up with the oracles of God. As Jewish people, you were raised in these traditions. You knew the elementary principles. You knew the ABC. You had the milk of the word, the Old Testament. All those types and shadows you had. You ought to be able to teach those. But you can't even teach them. In fact, I need to go back and reteach you so that you can see Jesus Christ in those things because you've missed Him. Again, this is the warning passages. He's not warning believers. He's warning those on the fence and he's warning those who are non-believers. He says, you ought to be able to teach uh, again. He says, you ought, to, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And you recall I referenced in Scripture because, again, we often look at the 1 Corinthians passage of Paul and say, well, here he talks about you know, milk and, and, and solid food and babes, and he's referring to Christians. So, so a lot of people will twist that and say, here he's talking about Christians. No, 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 no. And again, we cited the Romans passage where he references the Jewish non-believers, the Pharisees, as babes. And in the context, this again, warning passage, who's his audience? He's referencing those who are in the traditions of the Old Testament. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Again, he's trying to encourage them. Guys, you need to, you need to let go of that past. You need to move forward. The new covenant has come. It's in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Leave those old things. Therefore... Here it is, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we would do if God permits. Now, again, a lot of people read this. We talked about this last time. He said, well, wait a minute. How can you leave the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ? He's obviously talking about Jesus. I thought you said he wasn't. He's not. 
In that sentence right there where he says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the ABCs of Christ, that's that's a messianic title. He's saying you need to leave those ABCs of the Old Testament that were pointing you to Messiah. Because Messiah's come. And if you stay there, then you stay under the law. Galatians is doing the same thing. When you read the book of Galatians, there were people wanting to hang on to the law. They were wanting to hang on and, and, and stay in the tradition. And in essence, what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus. Jesus is enough. And so the writer is again trying to plead with this predominantly Jewish congregation. And he's trying to say, look, you need to leave the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Go on to maturity. Salvation by saving faith in Christ. Let us go on to to that, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, John the Baptist preached that. That was in Old Testament. He was the last of the prophets. Bring forth fruit unto repentance. Don't lay that foundation again from dead works and a faith toward God in general terms. Of course, the Old Testament, they did that. The doctrine of baptisms, we talked about, that's a bad translation. That's a bad translation in, in our English Bible. If that read, not laying again the, the, uh, the doctrine of washings, immediately you identify the Old Testament, not the New Testament, right? Because we don't do those ceremonial washings today, right? That's the list here. This is a list of Old Testament practices. And so he's saying, don't lay again those foundations of repentance of dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of washings, the laying on of hands, the, the scapegoat, the concept that they would do yearly. Because again, he's just gone through all this in these previous chapters about the priests and how they even had to atone for their own sins. But Jesus doesn't. Again, context, context, context. All that's preceded here has told us this argument that he's trying to plead with these people who are on the fence and those who were in danger of apostasy. And he says, this we will do if God permits. Look, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But the point of what we talked about last time in our sermon was this. If God has given full revelation, and He has, in their case, the revelation of the Old Testament should have led to their understanding in who Jesus Christ is. General revelation to special revelation. They should have gotten it. They had heard in its entirety. They had seen. And he goes on and says this. And again, we can apply even a warning here to us in application. Notice what he says. He says, verse 4, For it is impossible. It is impossible. Not difficult. It is impossible. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. What's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, look, he said, if you've tasted... Remember my illustration? I'd take Allison out to try new food. Hey, honey, try this food. And she would, no, no, I don't want to try it. Honey, just, just taste it. Just, you don't know if you don't taste it. I don't want to taste it. Just taste it. <gasps> she didn't eat it. They were tasting, but they weren't eating. They were partakers, but not possessors. There's a big difference, guys. Here's the the concept so that we understand it. This is what the writer is saying. There are countless people who grow up in church, 
who live here and are in week in, week out, week in, week out, and they experience everything that God does within Community Baptist Church, but they sit on the fence and they never surrender their life to Jesus Christ. On the outside, they look good. They got it together. They have experienced the benefits and the blessings that flow throughout Community Baptist Church. But if they're not born-again believers, if they're not possessors, then they're just partakers. This is what the writer is saying. And that's important for us to understand. Because there is a warning to those, and there's a warning to us, that if there be those in our midst, Surrender your life to Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. Because after sitting here and getting full revelation, you see how the types and the shadows of the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. And you know that Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled all of the Old Testament. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. He is a fulfillment. His death, His burial, His resurrection, it is finished, it is done. He's ascended to heaven. He's blazed a trail for whosoever will let them come. Those who want to follow can follow. Now it's your choice. Will you respond to the invitation that God has extended through the grace of Calvary, through the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ? Or will you harden? Will you shrink back in disbelief? Will you be intellectually enlightened but never surrender and follow there's nothing else the writer is saying there is nothing else that can be done for you what else can be done Jesus is God incarnate you can never get to heaven in your merits so unless God reaches down and saves you we're all in trouble but guess what? God did reach down to save you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Take His hand. He offers it. Well, I, I think I just need to stick to what I know in tradition. No! And so that is the warning that continues here. And he goes on. In case we didn't get it, he gives us an illustration. Oh, I love illustrations. By the way, if you ever study through the Bible, especially Paul's writing, this is one of the reasons why I think this is Paul. I can't prove that, but I'm holding to Paul's written this. Paul had a way of once he give you some doctrine, he's going to illustrate it. It's a good sermon. I need to work on that. So he gives us an illustration. Notice what happens. Verse 7. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. What's he saying? What's his point? Here's what he's saying. You go out here and you till the ground. You tear up that hardened soil. And then you come along and you plant a bunch of seed. And then the rain begins to fall. And that rain comes down. And that rain comes down. And all of a sudden it starts to grow. Oh, and it looks good. It's looking good. Then all of a sudden you notice one batch that was the same soil on the surface. Same seed. The gospel was planted. The same rain fell. Starts to grow, looks good. All of a sudden, one of them, there's thorns. And it starts choking out the life of that which is green. And all of a sudden, what started off looking good ends up being thistles and thorns and weeds. And it's good for nothing but what? To be burned. But yet here we've got that which is coming up looking good. Now all of a sudden, there's fruit being produced. And man, that harvest is coming in. By the way, who's the one who separates and decides? It's not me and you. There is coming a harvest time. There will be a time that the Lord will lay His sickle. And we know the Scripture teaches us that 
the wheat and the tares will grow together until the Lord separates it. Guys, it was no different in Jesus' day. It was no different in the time in which these, the writer of Hebrews was writing. There are those wheats and tares in their midst. There are wheats and tares in our midst. And this is why the warnings are so vital that we better listen. We better hear it because if we're a fence sitter or we're caught up in the traditions of whatever, then we need Christ. We need the Savior. And so now we begin in our text. Verse 9. This is why, again, I know. This is why we know God's Word is great. Man, it's good. It's good. It's good. I love it. If you don't get excited about God's Word, man, something's wrong with you. All right. It's okay. There's help for all of us. Pray for me. This is is a strong indicator that he's been talking about one group. Now he's going to talk about another group. This is why I get so like, oh, people, people. This can't be dealing with Christians when he's talking about the loss of salvation. He's not talking about the loss of salvation. You can't lose your salvation. It's anchored in Christ. He's been dealing with one audience, and he's been warning them. Now there's a shift in his letter to the believer. Listen to what he says in verse 9. But beloved. All right, time out. Stop there. Time out, Bo. Beloved. This is the only time this word is used in the whole letter of Hebrews. Beloved is only used of who? Help me out. Believers. He says, but, big but there. My professor always told me, look for the big but in the Bible. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Oh, so there seems to be this type of comparative. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. He's saying this, look, I'm sorry, (laughs) I had to speak in this manner. I know this was a little harsh. I know I had to speak in this manner. But look, you've got to realize there's wheats and tares in your midst. And I'm writing, and let it fall where it may. Let the chips fall where they may. But now, for for you believers, I, I expect... I expect better of you. Your pastor does the same thing when I preach. There's a lot of times, if you've noticed, sometimes maybe I, I hit a little hard, and then the Spirit starts to say, okay, Jeremy, back it down a little bit, buddy. Use a little hard on them on that one. You know, because they all, you know, point one finger is a bunch coming back, you know. And what does your pastor a lot of times do? He will oftentimes soften after a hard hit, right? Because the last thing I want to do is discourage you to the point of hopelessness. That's no good, is it? And so the writer is writing here, and it's been hard hitting. By the way, sometimes, guys, we need to be hit hard. Don't ever confuse discipline, firmness, as long as it's in truth, with an attitude, a spirit of love behind it, a heart of love. Right? We do this to our children, don't we? And so the writer's done this, but now he realizes, and so he wants to encourage. He says, you know, I don't want them to feel hopeless. You know, i got to give a little encouragement here. And so a lot of times your pastor will even do this to say, you know, oh, I'll say something and I'll say, but now, you guys are good Bible students, so I know that doesn't apply to you. Right? You see what I did there? Again, I don't... The writer is saying, look, beloved, we... We don't expect that of you. We, have, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. If, you're, if, you, if you like the outlines, and I'm sorry I didn't do the PowerPoints today, uh, I guess I'm getting vacationitis before it gets here. So please forgive me. Um, point one, fruit of faith. We see here, again, using that illustration, coming off of the crops that were planted in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7, in the illustration, here's the fruit of faith, verses 9 and 10. He starts with the believers. There's a distinct change in the audience. Yes, things that accompany salvation. You know, Jesus in John uh, uh, chapter 15, verses 4 to 8, you don't have to turn there, but you know, he talks about those who abide in him will bear what? Much fruit. Much fruit. 
You see, there should be a distinction in our midst between believers and non-believers. Believers should be producing fruit in their life. So I ask you this morning, if you are a professor of Christ, hopefully a possessor of Christ, maybe we need to do a little fruit examination. Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. There should be fruit of our faith. There should be things that are evident. Notice what he says. He continues on. Verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So what is some of that fruit? Labor of love, ministering to the saints. By the way, past and present, it says it there, minister to the saints and do minister. There's a continual going on in your life today. Not only past, but present. I think this is part of the problem for a lot of us today and the way that we resemble the audience of Hebrews is we look back to the past for a decision. Well, I was four, I prayed that prayer. I remember going down forward and repeating that prayer they told me to pray. I was baptized when I was eight. And that's the extent of your testimony. If that is, I pray the Spirit of God shake you to your core. Because what this passage and other passages do, and this is why there's a confusion amongst good, godly, believing Christians as to whether or not a person can lose their salvation or not, is because I believe we have taught a false gospel in a lot of good Bible-believing churches. And I believe we have told people that if they say the right words, we popishly declare them saved, and they are not truly born again. And so they hold on to a past emotional experience. They were enlightened. They tasted. They were partakers. But that was not abiding faith. The one thing that the book of Hebrews should do for all of us, and this is the area of encouragement, Christian, it should cause us to self-examine so that our hope is not just past, it's present and it's future. That's all through here. From the oracles of God to the coming of Christ to your current ministering amongst the saints to the future hope. Perseverance of the saints is vital if you want to check your pulse to see if you're a Christian. Perseverance of the saints. This is why we all know somebody, well, they started well. You know, they were doing so good for so long, and then they just turned and walked away. Never to be seen or heard from again. And it's so hard when it's somebody we love because we want to, well, I don't know their heart, and I, I pray they're saved. I think they are because I remember when they were three, and they made a profession of faith. I remember when they got baptized. And at the end of the day, they may be. There is a term, I believe, Scripture speaks to those who backslide. Peter. Think about it. Cursing like a sailor. Got scared by a little schoolgirl. Went off back fishing again, doing his own thing. In fact, let's go there. Let's go there real quick. Everybody go over to, let's go to John. Uh, Gospel of John. And let's look in verse 21. And this is important as we, as we see here. That'll help us. Look in John chapter 21. And let's look in verse 15. You remember? Peter's going back to fishing. He's on the, he sees Jesus on the shore. He jumps out of the boat, gets there. They have a little fish breakfast. And now verse 15, they're having this little conversation, Jesus and Peter. So when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, which again I think because of the rooster crowing and I think this was a piercing reminder. He said to him again, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now go back over to Hebrews for a second. Look at this passage we just read again. For God is not unjust to forget your work. The writer focuses on the character of God. God is not unjust. He's a just God. Now I don't know about you, I don't want justice. I want mercy. But where do we find both justice and mercy? The cross of Calvary. Notice what he says. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name. What did Jesus ask Peter three times? Do you love me? Was the focus on the sheep first? Where was the focus first? It was on Christ. Christian, we can't love one another as we should. If our eyes are not on Christ, for His namesake is why they were ministering, had ministered to the saints in the past. That's why they were ministering today to the saints. This is why there was future hope. It's because their focus, and the whole point of Hebrews is to focus on who? Christ. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. And so He's encouraging them, put your eyes on Christ. He's not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward His name. Do you realize everything that's done is done for His name's sake? It's for His name's sake because He alone is worthy. May the name of Jesus Christ be lifted high. And if He be lifted up, He'll draw men unto Himself. All men unto Himself. Christian, there's an encouragement right after a strong warning. And for us as believers, you want to know whether or not you're in that boat or not in that boat? Where's your focus? Where's your life? What's it centered on? What should be happening as we read through this passage? Notice, he goes on, he says... For your work and your labor of love which you've shown toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. I believe at this point He, he blankets all of them. He says to those who are in the tradition, to those that are on the fence, to those that are believers, all of you, this is my hope. This is my prayer. God's not willing that any should perish, but all will come to repentance. The hope is that all of you, with the same diligence in which you've been loving one another, because of the namesake of Christ, because of the justice of Christ, because of the mercy of Christ, because of what Christ has offered you, that you would continue to labor with the same amount of diligence for His namesake, that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You want to know how you can have assurance in your salvation? I think he's given us some insight. Now, a lot of people look at this passage and they say, well, wait a minute, this seems to be a works-type-oriented message. No, 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 no. Listen to this quote. Uh, some commentators have used this verse to support the unbiblical idea that believers should look to their good works as evidence of their election and as the basis for their assurance of salvation. This verse is not saying that. The Greek word pleroforia always means fullness in the passive sense, not fulfilling. The writer meant that we need to be diligent regarding something we've already obtained. Not to obtain something, namely assurance. 
Notice what he says. Verse 12. That you do not become sluggish. Now, again, our translation does us a disservice here. This word sluggish is the same word that we just read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. It's the same word. That you do not become dull. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Why is that important to understand that? Well, again, who did he start off talking to? Who did he start off correcting? Who did he start off warning? warning? And so now he's, he's telling this group, and again, each one of you, he's all encompassed here. And again, I see in this text, there seems to be, if nothing else, a, a dichotomy. Both groups, the believers and the non-believers, will categorize it that way because I believe that's what the author does here. Because he says, do not become like them, sluggish, dull, but imitate those who through faith. He's just done this in his writing earlier when he said, but beloved, we're more confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So don't be like those who shrink back and go into disbelief. No, be like those who are faithful in following after Christ because they've obtained salvation and so therefore they live out their faith. The just shall live by faith. And imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Fruit of faith, verses 9 to 10. Fullness of faith, verse 11. And in verse 12 we see how they follow in faith. The negatives. Do not become sluggish. Don't become dull of hearing. Don't sit here week in, week out, week in, week out thinking you're okay if you're not. Have you become sluggish, dull in your relationship with God? There's a warning. But there's encouragement. The positive, he says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now he's going to give us a great example in chapter 11. We're not there yet. But y'all know the great hall of faith, right? But some of you may know somebody who's contagious with their Christianity. Don't you kind of like being around them? I know sometimes it's embarrassing. But hey, that's just a side benefit of knowing me, right? I'm just kidding. That's, it. that's what Dave says. But anyway. No, look, there's something about people who love the Lord and you know it. You know it. You know who they are. Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Guys, if you see any good in me, if you see any good in your neighbor, they know this, I know this. If you see any good in me, it's not me, it's Christ within me. Imitate those. Follow, follow after Christ. Be patient. Our walk is not a one and done. Yes, it's done in the sense that Christ has paid it all. But when we come to that saving knowledge at whatever point we obtain that in our life, we presently continue to walk in the process of our sanctification. He's chipping away at us to make us more and more into the image of Christ. But we hold to the future hope because one day our salvation will be fully understood. We will see Him as He is. We will be as He is. We will receive the glorified state. One day we cross that finish line. Patience. We shall inherit the promises. So, let me give you some illustration. We'll wrap it up. First Thessalonians one. First Thessalonians one two through four. The apostle Paul said, "We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope." in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. That's another passage as to why I believe Paul's the writer. He just summed it all up, didn't he? In that one verse. 
two verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans 1, 1 through 6, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Do you know why you're called, Christian? Do you know why you continue to live by faith and walk by faith? For his name. You represent his name. Be fruitful. Bear much fruit. There's great joy in that. Again, John 15. I know when I preach a message like this, no doubt there are some who, who will struggle with their assurance. Maybe you're banking on a past experience instead of an abiding faithfulness. Let me leave you with this encouragement. It's normal. It's normal to read through passages like this, strong warning passages, and, and, and really maybe even start to wonder a little bit about ourselves. I think that's a healthy fear. Because I believe we should never be stagnant, we should never be content as to where we are. I think the Apostle Paul reminds us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. But, I, but here's what I don't want us doing misreading the passages and that just because maybe you're currently in a, a, a fallen away state, in a backslidden state, that there's really no hope. I mean, look what that passage said. I guess there's no hope. Your pastor believed that once. Maybe some of you have believed that once. God knew my life. He knew all the sin I had done. He, man, there is no way all the sin I committed, all of those evil thoughts, all of those wicked deeds that I had done, there is no way He would forgive me. There's no way. I mean, why, why even, you know, what's the point? I, I'm done. I'm, I, I guess I'm one of those that's cast away. The enemy would love for me to have bought that lie way back when. I've heard it said this way, and this is what somebody told me, and God used this person greatly through Scripture, through teaching, through encouragement, that be careful of what the enemy seeks to sow. Jeremy, the very fact that you're sitting here and there's a concern in your heart that you may or may not have done that is an indicator that the Spirit of God is drawing you or you would have no concern. When you look at the people in the Scriptures who walk away, whom, and again, we could have spent a whole lesson on the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. These are people who have full revelation, full understanding, harden themselves to it and want nothing to do with it. And God gives them over to do that which is right in their sight. The fact that you may be struggling with, is that me? Does this apply to me? Is this passage for me? Is probably a good, good indicator that, no, the Spirit of God is convicting you. And a passage like this should stir us to want to make our election and calling sure to begin to faithfully follow after Christ. Because he's drawing. 
because He's calling. Because He desires for you to seek after Him for His namesake. I heard J.D. Greer say it this way, and I think it's a good illustration. Imagine, I know you probably won't be able to see this. I drive a cameraman crazy. Imagine this chair is Jesus. I'm resting. Do I know I'm sitting in this chair? Oh, absolutely. I know. Is my faith in this chair? Yes. That it's going to hold me up. It doesn't matter Did I do that when I was four? Did I do that when I was eight? My question to you is, where are you now? And if you're not resting in Christ today, let today be your day of salvation. God's not concerned with whether or not you got it written in your Bible. If you remember the exact month, date, time, and where you were, my question to you is, God deals in the here and now. Where are you now? Rest, rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, your word has been rightly divided. And I pray that this message of warning that leads into encouragement to the believer would not be discouraging to the point that some on the fence would feel hopeless, but that those who are in that position would choose this day whom they will serve. Lord, let them come to you in this closing moment in the, in the recesses of their heart because that's where you see. Lord, let them surrender their life and rest in the finished work of Calvary. Help them to repent of their sin and call upon the only name given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. You said, if anyone labors and is heavy laden, let them come and I will give them rest. May we all turn to you daily to find the grace that is sufficient for our every need.